Welcome to the Health Systems Podcast, where we discuss healthcare careers and provide education on the healthcare system for personal and professional use. I'm Jack Polk, and I hope you enjoy listening to today's discussion. As a disclaimer, I am employed by a health plan, and any opinions presented in this podcast are not representative of that health plan. Today, I am joined by Jennifer Ryan, who is the CEO of Volunteers in Medicine Jacksonville, a clinic for the working uninsured. During our discussion today, we talk about what it means to be working and uninsured and some discussions about health equity and what you can do if you're trying to advance your leadership to the next level. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Health Systems Podcast. Today, I am joined by Jennifer Ryan, correct? Yes, Jennifer uh, Ryan. Yep. Of Volunteers in Medicine. She's the Chief Executive Officer and brings a wealth of experience surrounding not only health equity, but I guess it is, this is a clinic too, right? This is a free clinic for the working uninsured. Yes. That's awesome. So Jennifer, can you just kind of give the audience just some of your backgrounds, like your education, maybe some previous positions you worked in? What got you here today? Sure. Um, I'm a Jacksonville native. I grew up uh, in Jacksonville, uh, moved away um, and lived in Georgia for about 10 years, um, came back to Jacksonville uh, about 20 years ago. And um, while in Georgia, I went to Mercer University in Macon, Georgia. Um, and then I got my master's uh, in public health from Emory University, where I really started my career in public health, uh, working for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in HIV and AIDS prevention. And um, moved back to Jacksonville, and um, access to health was really something important to me, and looking at um, what's going on in our community that's contributing to the health of my community. Um, this is where I live. This is where I'm from. And I truly believe no matter what part of the city someone lives, that impacts my life. That impacts me. They're my neighbor. Um, so I, when I moved back to Jacksonville, I worked at the health department um, and then worked at Brooks Rehab uh, doing community benefit. And from there, um, that's where I really decided I wanted to lead nonprofits. I wanted to, to, to be the voice for an organization that's making a difference in the community. And so I reached out to uh, someone in the community who I admired and who I looked up to, who had a job that I thought would be a great job to have one day. And when I did, she told me she was leaving oh. and <laughs> that I should apply for her job. Um, so the job that I thought I'd have later in my life, I actually had early in my, um, leading nonprofit career. Um, and so I, that was the first time I led a nonprofit was with the Northeast Florida Healthy Start Coalition. Uh, they worked to reduce infant mortality in our community mm. and it was the hardest, most rewarding job. But from there I learned about partnerships. I learned about, um, you can't do it all. You have to rely on other organizations, other partners. Um, and this town is so collaborative. People really want to help each other because you're working towards a common goal. Um, following my work at um, as executive director of the Northeast Florida Healthy Start Coalition, um, I got married and wanted something a little bit less stressful. Um, and so went and worked at a YMCA in a community community. Um, where I grew up in 
uh, Ponte Vedra. I grew up not far from there. And um, so I ran that YMCA for two years and had the best time um, watching my nephews go to camp, um, watching my nephew play, shoot his first hoop. Um, and oh, now he's cool. he's an amazing basketball player. He's 14. So I just had a wonderful time. But my heart really just really longed for helping the underserved hmm. and helping people. And so I reached out to to friends of mine who lead nonprofits and asked them, you know, what do they know about jobs in the community? Have they heard of any openings? And I heard about volunteers in medicine and um, reached out to the board chair um, to ask about the job and do, does he think that I would qualify? And it was fate because uh, he was on his way to meet with the board committee to decide on which resumes to consider. Um, oh, wow. So I was able to get my resume in right then. Um, and then I got the job and I've been here um, since October of 2018. And there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Um, I am helping our community get access to health care. I that's, love it. That's an amazing story. And it, it definitely sounds like a lot of like the right place, right time. And you really monopolized on your net. Uh, monopolized is maybe the wrong word, but you saw that you had this network of individuals that you could reach out and just kind of get after that dream, right? It's, I truly believe in Jacksonville, it is a, a very tight network of people that want to help each other. And I've just always been collaborative, not competitive. Hmm. And and that's what's, I think, a little unique about the nonprofit world is you, you have to be collaborative because no one can do all of this work. No one can solve all the social ills of our community. Um, and so I've just always been someone that I, I want to be friends with people. I want to get to know people. Um, and so that just leads me to, to make friendships, um, make partnerships, um, because it's all about the mission of the organization mm -hmm. and the community, not about me. That's great. So taking a quick step back, go, that transition from Brooks Rehab to that executive director position with Healthy Start, were you doing something s similar at Brooks Rehab or was it more of a transitionary process? And because you mentioned that's some of the skill sets you acquired at Healthy Start, right? Yes. Um, you mentioned some of the skill sets that you had acquired there. So I'm just curious, was there a, a transition? Was it hard? Was it natural? Um, how, how was it for you? So at Brooks Rehabilitation, I worked under the executive director of, um, of the foundation of Brooks Rehab. And while working with her, I learned so much. And I worked under two different people, but I learned a lot about uh, how to build partnerships, how to work together, how to speak comfortably about different organizations that help mm. to, to serve the needs of Brooks Rehab patients. Um, for instance, working with other area hospitals. Um, I got to know a lot of people that worked in the hospitals. Um, and so I always had someone that I was looking up to there that, you know, was she was always going to lunch with people. She was always talking to people. She was always encouraging others. Um, and I was like, I, th I think I can do that. I think I want to do that. 
Um, Brooks also was very strategic, um, and they used a lot of data to make decisions, and that translated a lot into the role I took at um, Healthy Start because it was a very hard job. It had federal funding, so there was a lot of grants. There was a lot of reporting. We had state funding, so there was a lot of working with with state organizations. Um, and so Brooks really helped prepare me for that. But it was scary. It was scary because I was in my dream job at the time, and it's it's scary. But I, you know, I think as I've learned. You're not running a nonprofit by yourself. You have a board, you have staff. And so I just, I really learned a lot about my team, what their skills were, what their strengths were, and just relied on those strengths. Um, and they helped me a lot. That's amazing. So this collaborative skill set that you've garnished over the years. From what I know about volunteers in medicine, it seems like it is this big collaboration of the community, uh, providers giving their time, in some cases pro bono, correct? Can you just delve into a little bit about what you're doing now here at Volunteers in Medicine? Because everyone, it's an, it's an incredible organization for the community, um, but please. Yes, uh, we are, Volunteers in Medicine is a free clinic for the working uninsured. Uh, we have a clinic downtown and... Uh, during the pandemic in June of 2020, we opened up a clinic on the west side of Jacksonville um, within the campus of a community center called Inspire to Rise. Um, so that when you talk about collaboration, we have a clinic within a community center um, where we are partnering um, with an organization that's helping um, provide support to, to parents that might not have custody of their children. They do support groups. Um, we utilize 250 volunteers a month that are our doctors, our nurses, our front desk staff, our medical records, and we could not do the work that we do without our volunteers. Uh, we provide primary care and 16 specialties, um, and those specialties include mental health. We truly believe mental health is health, and so we have mental health embedded within our primary care clinic. We provide vision screenings. We provide all of the medications that a patient would need. Everything is free to the patient. Um, speaking of collaborations, we we believe food is medicine. So we partner with Feeding Northeast Florida to provide a they provide a corner market where we prescribe patients um, to get healthy food um, for their families every other Saturday. Um, they actually bring their corner market to the clinic. Wow. Um, we also partner with UNF to do, uh, we have a, a nurse on staff who also teaches UNF students um, in their nurse, part of their nursing program. Um, we partner with all the area nonprofit hospitals. Um, they're amazing partners. Even the for-profit hospitals are helping us as well. Um, they see the value in what we do because we're keeping people healthy keeping them working, and we're keeping them out of emergency rooms. Right, and that's a critical step is keeping them out of the emergency room because at the end of the day, no one wants to be there 
whether you're in the emergency room yourself or you're the insurance plan that has to pay for that visit or the provider that has to deal with someone who, if the issue had been addressed sooner, they wouldn't have been there in, in the first place, right? So I, I want to hone in real quick on the working uninsured. That's a term where, as someone who also works in healthcare, that makes a lot of sense to me, but I can definitely see it being a newer term. So why the working uninsured and, and what is the working uninsured, demographically speaking? So there are about 114,000 people that are uninsured in our community. Um, we were founded in 2003. Um, we're getting ready to celebrate 20 years, so we're very oh, congratulations. excited. And our founders, um, Dottie Dorian and Dr. Jim Burt, um, Dottie was a nurse and Dr. Burt was a urologist at St. Vincent's. They saw the need for a service like volunteers in medicine um, while they were practicing. They were noticing that so many people were going to the emergency room for things that could be managed if they had a primary care doctor. Um, it was also during a time where health insurance started getting more and more expensive. And so more and more employers we're stopping providing health insurance as a benefit. Um, so our patients, the working uninsured, they work 20 hours a week at a minimum. Um, they can make 13000 all the way up to 250% of poverty, which um, right now in 2022 um, translates to about $34,000 annually for one person. And then as you add family members, you can make a little bit more. Um, but these are people, they're starting small businesses, they own their own businesses, they're working, um, they're bus drivers, they're cutting our hair, they're working in restaurants, they're musicians. So we all know someone that is working, but is not, doesn't have access to health insurance, or it's too much. Um, the average cost, it can be between six and $800 a month. And if you're living paycheck to paycheck, which so many of our neighbors are, that's too much. And then you're having to decide between feeding your family, keeping a roof over your head, or the medicine that you need to purchase. I see. So based, based on what you just gave me, is do you find that the working uninsured is spread across all age groups or is it you know skewed to the younger generation skewed to the older or somewhere kind of in between because when you hit 65 right that's supposed to be the the golden medicare years so <laughs> to speak um, but what does that age range look like typically so a majority of our patients are between 45 and 64 um anyone that is listening to the podcast that's over 40 knows that Right about 40 is when your vision starts going bad. You probably start gaining a little bit of weight. Um, you need to get a lot of your vital screenings, so mammograms, um, colon cancer screenings, all these things um, you need to start doing. And so you, these things start happening to you and you realize, I need to go to the doctor. Um, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s, usually you're pretty healthy. Um, you still need to go to the doctor once a year, but it's really when you hit people are around 45 that they're like, okay, I'm not feeling well. I haven't been to the doctor in a while. Um, I need to come to, I need to get a primary care doctor. Um, so our patients, um, 
we try to fill a gap. Um, we encourage patients to get health insurance if they qualify for it um, under the healthcare marketplace. Um, there are some of our patients um, that could possibly qualify for the marketplace, so we try to encourage them to see if they apply. We actually bring a health navigator into the clinic to help meet with our patients. We want people to have health insurance. Mm -hmm. We want them to have it. Um, and we want to make sure we're filling a gap so we're being the best stewards with the money that's donated to us um, to be filling a gap. I see. So just a quick step real quick. It, volunteers in medicine, would I'm trying to quantify it in my head a little further. Would you consider this place to be more of an urgent care type model or do you actually also function as a primary care office in some cases for your patient population? So we want to be someone's medical home. We want to be a primary care home for our patients. So a majority of what we provide is primary care, but because we have a clinic, we can also have volunteers that are specialists mm -hmm. come as well. So we can do dermatology, cardiology. We do some surgery, like some small surgeries. Um, so a lot of times our volunteers are doctors who still want to keep their license. They still want to practice but they want to be able to go on a trip with their family on the weekend or go golf hmm. on a Tuesday. Um, so they'll volunteer just like four hours a week um, and provide us with the service and the community with a service. Um, so we do see a lot of specialists that want to volunteer. Um, but our goal is to be the medical home and do everything we can for the patient in one location with primary care also being at our West Jacks location. I see. So do you also have a pharmacy component on site as well? We do. We have an on-site dispensary. All of the medications for our patients are free. Um, so we get those donated. We purchase them. Um, a lot of it is for like hypertension, asthma. We buy inhalers for our patients. Um, and so we have a volunteer pharmacist that works with us to help dispense those. That's awesome. So in terms of like the donations or I guess buying stock is in terms of donations is some of it like nearing its end of life phase or is it just a community a community benefit that the manufacturer has just allocated for you so we um, we partner with a company called direct relief and so they um, get some medications that will expire within probably six to eight months maybe um, those aren't things that like a CVS or Walgreens wants to keep on their shelves they want to make sure they have long shelf lives. Um, and so they donate them to direct relief, and then they donate them to us. Um, and we can get them into our patients' hands very quickly. That's um, awesome. It's great. But then there are medications that we buy, but mm -hmm. we'll buy them in large quantities. Um, so then we can prescribe them in monthly or you know 90-day supplies to our patients. So we do receive funds so that we can purchase medications as well. That's awesome. And just because it's kind of a hot topic right now does that also include o opioids or have you all steered clear of opioids for the time being we have steered clear of opioids so we we actually have pain management as one of our specialties mm -hmm. so we look for other forms of pain management um, besides those that are highly addictive um, it also helps lower the risk of the clinic and people right. trying to break in or or get access to them as well perfectly understandable so this place has been operating, you said, almost 20 years. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure, especially with the pandemic, like where I'm 
post-pandemic era, air quotes, so to speak, it's still very alive and well. What are some of the like, challenges that Volunteers in Medicine has faced over the years? Or what is just one, one of the more challenges that you all are encountering today? Provider labor shortage, volunteer labor shortage, or even more specific to the patients? So the challenge for us, um, kind of being post-COVID, um, is a lot of our volunteers that were highly at risk of COVID, they stayed home um, when COVID happened because of their risk, and we asked them to. So those that are over 65, we rely heavily on um, retired volunteers. So it has been hard getting them to come back and feel safe. Um, we have done a great job with our team of I think everyone got vaccinated. We wear masks. We still do. And social distance um, with our team. We haven't had to close the clinic because of a COVID outbreak. We haven't exposed patients to it. Um, so, so I think getting the volunteers to come back um, or getting new volunteers um, is a challenge because of COVID. Um, during COVID, people stayed home. So they might have felt bad but they didn't want to risk going out in public. So they waited a little bit longer um, feeling bad. So they they returned back to us a little bit. Their health was a little bit worse. Um, You're referring to the, your patient population. Patient population. So our patients would come back, um, but they haven't been here in a couple of years um, because of the pandemic. They wanted to stay away. Um, so we're finding that they're, you know, they might've lapsed on some of their medications Um so we're, we're having to take care of them all over again instead of staying and maintaining their health. Um, people weren't getting vital screenings. Um, so we're doing everything we can to get our patients to come back at least once a year to get checkups, um, to get their screenings that they need. Um, we're, of course, I think all nonprofits right now are struggling with um, hiring and staffing um, because of um, the recession and and also after COVID, people are reevaluating what they want their careers to be and how they want to spend their days. Um, we, we've been pretty fortunate um, that we've been able to find good staff because everyone that's here is here because of our patients. They're here because of the work that we're doing. So they are motivated by giving back and helping people. Um, so but overall, um, with COVID, we're happy to be done, but we want we need to get our message out to our patients and to the community. We're a safe place to come. Um, we are masking. We are social distancing, um, even though we don't really have to anymore. Um, but we want to keep our patients safe, um, and we're we're not on a wait list. We're not turning people away. Um, so if you qualify, we can get someone in for appointment within a week. That's amazing, and. Uh seeing the dedication of your staff that that's also an amazing quality i'm glad you all have that just something that came up to mind right now do you all have any form of telemedicine at this time or exploring it so we use telehealth for those that don't want to come in or can't come in if they have transportation issues um our doctors do prefer to see them in person but we have that option and during covid we we had to use that option mm -hmm. um because some of our providers had to stay home. Um, so what's really neat is during COVID, we had already had a relationship with UNF um, mental health program and their nutrition program. 
to do mental health for our um, diabetic and hypertensive patients. And so we had already, before the pandemic, figured out which telehealth platform we wanted to use. So when the pandemic happened, we're part of a um, about 90 volunteers in medicines across the country. Uh, we're independently owned and operated, but they were looking for a platform to do telehealth. And because we'd already piloted, um, we used doxy.me, we were able to share that with the National Volunteers of Medicine, and they were able to get it free to all the clinics across the country. Um, so it was pretty neat. And now, because we did that, it's just a part of our everyday, especially for our mental health patients that want to talk to someone um, but maybe don't need to physically be in here. But what we have found is we want to be connected to each other. So it really works the best if they come and meet in person first, and then we can move it to telehealth after that, after they've built that trust because you're sharing all your life stories. Mm. Um, but I think from now until forever, you have to have telehealth as an option. So I'm just trying to think about it from the perspective of a, a someone, a 20-something, um, maybe like 27, 28, freshly out of their parents' insurance and working their first job, right? If they wanted to sign up for your telehealth, is there a web link? Would they have to come in? Is it as simple as placing a phone call? What does that process look like? If they just wanted to establish even basic primary care. Well, kudos to a 28-year-old for taking charge of their health um, because we don't see a whole lot of 20-somethings that are going to the doctor. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not a big part of our population. Um, so kudos to the 28-year-old. Um, but they would just call to qualify. Mm-hmm. We just need proof of income for two months. We don't need tax returns. We don't need a, a bunch of paperwork. Um, it's just proof of your income that you do qualify for our services. Um, we could set up an appointment in person or over the phone. Once you qualify, we'll make your first appointment to come in, and you're a patient here for a year. Um, and that includes all your screenings, doctor's visits, lab work that's done, mental health. Um, we also screen for mental health, um, all your medications, vision screenings, We'll do it all once you qualify for a whole year. That's amazing. So if you're a 35 to 40-something contractor or uh, meets the criteria by all means. So that telehealth program sounds honestly amazing and definitely one of the wins, I would say, for the community. But at this clinic, what has been some of the other big wins that you all have seen in recent years? So our... Some of the big wins we've seen here at Volunteers in Medicine, um, recently we started providing Libre um, devices for its to manage, um, help someone manage their diabetes and avoid having to do a finger stick. And you monitor it. Um, it's a device that goes on your arm, and you can use an app on your phone to check your blood sugar and insulin levels. And we're finding that patients are using it. They're monitoring it. They're checking it on a regular basis, and they're making behavior modifications based on the readings. So our patients are losing weight because of a monitor for their diabetes, which has been amazing. It's what we want. We're so happy. Um, They're seeing that 
the difference in their blood sugar between a large lemonade and a small lemonade. So they're making less caloric choices. Um, That's one big win that I'm super excited about. Um, Another big win is we are, we collaborate with all of the local safety net uh, nonprofit free clinics. And we all came together about three years ago and created an organization called Jack's Care Connect to help link people going to who are going to the emergency room um, or they're just going online to look for access to health care options. And they can link them to the best clinic that meets their needs. They also come into our clinics and help people that might need help with food, with housing, extra um, financial support. Um, they're just linking them to other resources. And that is really exciting because we all came together and said we want we need this shared resource and we were able to get funding for it and get community support. So I'm really proud of that. It's very unique. So is that like a health navigation and social work yes. service? Okay. Yes, it is. That's awesome. Yeah. And is it just like a web page or is it like a group of people? Like how does that work? So it's both. So both. it's a web page, okay. but really it's driven by people. So phone calls, emails following up with the patients to make sure they got what they needed. Um, so there are people behind it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What was the no. next thing? No. Um, those are two of the big wins, but I think um, another big win is growing. We're, we're moving um, at the end of this year um, to a new location. And so that's been fun to plan strategize, but we're adding more exam rooms. We're going to have more rooms to have more mental health providers on site. Um, We can have more specialties. uh, And we actually are moving to a a zip code that is right next to um, 32217, uh, which I just learned has the highest number of uninsured individuals. So really excited that will be a resource for them. Um, and it's also located very close to other nonprofit uh, organizations that we refer to and partner with. So I'm really excited about that. So 32217, is that uninsured relative to Jacksonville, Florida, or like relative to the state? In the county, in Duval in, County. In Duval County, yes. okay. Good question. Thank you. Wow. So thank you for all this information and one one last thing I want to touch on. What is your biggest service line here? Is it primary care? Is it uh, some? Is it prescription medication? Is it mental health services specifically? What what is like your top one to three services that you provide? I would say our top service is primary care, primarily managing diabetes, hypertension, and asthma. Those chronic conditions that need to be looked, you need to have someone helping you in managing that. Um, but they're, they're treatable and they can, you don't have to go to the emergency room if those mm-hmm. things are managed. Those are the, the primary things we're seeing. Awesome. So I want to talk about some leadership questions, right? You, you went from your time as an executive director to now having this awesome opportunity here, doing what you love as a CEO, in your own words, 
what do you believe one of the most important aspects of leadership is, especially when it comes to teams, collaboration, um, and all that as well? For me, it has to match my passion. And I am very well aware that my passion is increasing access to healthcare, a healthy community, and being the yes to people that constantly hear no. Um, I believe in what we're doing, and I believe the people that we serve deserve it. They Just because they make less money than someone else does not make them less deserving of a great life, of a happy life, where they can spend time with their friends, spend time with their family. I truly believe if you're not healthy, you're not going to live as long. You're not going to live that really good quality of life. And that's what it is for me because that's what I want for me. So I want other people to have a good, healthy, high quality of life. I see. Thank you. In a line, Talking about your passion for a second, was there a defining moment for you where you went, wait, this is what I want to do? Like, did it happen when you were young or as a kid? Did it manifest in your career, like working through this CDC for Brooks? Was it something that you really just arrived on in the past few years here as the CEO? But when when did this passion become a thing for you? My passion for access to health care, I can't really pinpoint exactly when, but I, I think I've just always, I grew up playing sports. Um... I try to be healthy myself, um, but I can, when you ask me this question, I think back to a time I was working, um, I actually worked in a manufacturing plant in college. I was um, an environmental science major, an undergrad, and this is where it really doesn't matter what you what your degrees are in, you will, where you're supposed to go will find you. I truly believe that. Um, so I was working at a manufacturing plant, and I saw an advertisement for the Masters of Public Health program, and I saw something about the CDC, and it just, public health just really got to me. And I really didn't know what it was, um, so I learned more about it. And public health is really about looking at groups of people, what what is happening in these groups of people, what types of interventions or programs can be done to impact large groups of people. So while we're a clinic and we look at each individual person, I look at, okay, we have a lot of people experiencing this. What is one thing we can do in the community to help address this issue beyond just providing medication? Um, so I, I look back to before I got my master's in public health, and that's really when my love of health and access to health care really kind of started. Um, but I probably didn't really realize it until six years ago. Okay. Wow. And, and that's interesting that you say you started in manu a manufacturing and <laughs> environmental science. I, I started in political science. So I also <laughs> have, well, I didn't know I was going to end up where I'm at now working in healthcare as well. And it's interesting because the, I understand what you mean. It was that natural curiosity that what is this? What is public health? For me, it was like, what is, how is healthcare run? 
because uh, my background's in healthcare administration. So, and that was something I was going to ask, like, what is a master's in public health? But I think you cover, covered it pretty well. When you look at these groups of people, are you using things like census data or clinical information from somewhere like CMS? Like Everything, everything. everywhere. FloridaCharts.com or .gov. Um, there is um, the nonprofit hospitals put out a community health needs assessment every it's either two or four years, and I am, like, waiting for that report to come out. Um, there's also data on, um, on at the county level on, mm-hmm. like, the healthiest counties. So I just find anything, anything and everything census data. The Health Planning Council has great data um, so they can – but anywhere. And we also use it for our grants. So I'm always looking for new data to, to prove – what we're doing is the right thing to do because I always want to make sure we're moving towards doing something that is evidence-based, is data-driven. That's awesome. And you're probably aware of this, but well, I'll ask the question. NCQA, I heard that they're going to start including social determinants of health data in upcoming HEDIS measures as well. Did you know about that? I did not. Yes. I love that. So... I believe it's going to be at the claims level. So if someone goes to a hospital and a medical claim is filed, part of, I guess, part of the patient registration aspect, they're going to start asking some of those questions like race and ethnicity, income, what does your housing look like? You know, do you, to the tune of, do you, have you ever been at, in a place where you were worried that you wouldn't have a roof over your head or shelter or food insecure security type questions. So I guess be on the lookout in 23 and 24 for my own sake, I'm looking forward to that data. That's awesome. But it is coming, which is exciting. It's cool to see how even at as high as the federal level, we're kind of centering around this idea of health equity and how it can really just impact the community at all levels. Well, because we've seen the data that there are huge health disparities um, and race being one of the factors that's impacting people's health. And so, yeah, we've, we've got to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Yeah, definitely, definitely exciting. So when it comes to your passion, right, and leading your, and leading your team, how, how, how has that has that passion driven you to do things you don't think you would have normally done if like done say compared to something at the YMCA when it comes to here? Uh, my passion definitely I, impacts what I do here, mm-hmm. um, and my team will sometimes be like, "What we're going to do? What?" Um, you know, for instance, coming from Healthy Start, I really wanted to share with our team we're we're making a difference in infant mortality because we're helping the health of women before and between pregnancies, which is a huge indicator um, and leading, it can impact a child's health. Um, So just sharing with my team that we are a part of infant mortality prevention um, just by providing primary care, well women exams. Um, So I really try to help my team see the big picture. And I feel like it's part of my job as I'm out in the community when I'm meeting new people and I hear 
other things going on that I want to share it with my team to help them see how we fit in with all of this. Because I think so many times we were doing our job and we just, we're kind of going, not really going through the motions, but we're, we're only seeing what we do day in and day out, not really seeing how what we're doing day in and day out is really doing to the community at large or helping people. So I always like to try to help my team see that big picture. Um, because, you know, we talk about funding, we talk about, you know, equipment that we need or medications that we need. Um, but what is that impact on the whole community? Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like it's my job to share that big picture with them on a regular basis. That's, that's amazing. I, from what it sounds like on this side, in addition to the big picture, you're also establishing the why, right? Like the mm-hmm. why you all do yep. what you do. And it's not just because of the funding. It's not just because of the measures or even just the basics of, hey, we're trying to move the needle for to better infant mortality. It's you're making an impact in the life of your patient population. And I think that's truly amazing. All right. So rounding it out, I'm new at healthcare. Very, very new. Um, I, I've only been in this career for two years for individuals out there who really want to try and go to the aspire to those leadership positions what advice do you have for them first of all I would find out where people that you aspire to careers you want people that you admire where are they going where are they spending their time are there seminars you can attend are there you know groups you can attend like the pilot club um, groups you can join um, where you can get to know people Um, and I think ask them out to lunch you know invite them to a podcast interview Um, you know people love to be asked how did you get there what got you here people love to talk about those things about themselves but I would surround yourself with the people that you aspire to be like. Um, and, and you know, attend the seminars, go to the meetings, go to the luncheons, um, ask questions, do research on... I love to look up, you know, where people went to school, what boards they're on. Um, that's another thing is looking at getting on boards because um, you meet all kinds of different people um, and you're helping a local nonprofit. Um, But I also think don't be afraid to try something new if it really excites you. Um, Because if if you're doing something you love, you're not going to dread where you're going every day when you get up to go to work. Um, Thank you. And just I guess to tag on to that, did you have a mentor? going through these processes or did you find some along the way or do you think mentorship is an important thing to have? I think it is important to have a mentor. Um, important to have someone that you look up to. So I've, um, the person that I referenced when I was looking, um, to move to healthy start, but I didn't know I was looking to move to healthy start. Her name is Carol Brady. And, I had worked with her for years and I just always, she was very passionate about what she did. She was very unapologetic 
Um, she always spoke her mind, um, but it was always for infant mortality. And so when when I called her, it was really, I need some help. Um, what are your thoughts? Where could I go? And she was like, you need to apply for this job. And because she said, and I think you should, I think you would be a great candidate. Um, having someone kind of encourage me for something that I was really, really scared to do. Um, but I'm so glad I did um, because I learned so much. And it was scary. It was hard. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful that she kind of gave me that push and believed in me. So, That's awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. This thank is, you. This has been awesome. You have an amazing organization, and I cannot wait to see what your new building looks like. Um, for those who are curious about volunteering for your organization, what is your website? How can they sign up? Uh, even for, is there a different sign-up process, like if you have a clinical background? So all volunteer opportunities are available through our website. It's VIM, V-I-M, as in medicine, jacks.org, and there's an application. But we're looking for – you don't even have to be in the medical field to volunteer. We have lots of different opportunities um, and we're always looking for, for people. So we love that. Awesome. And just a quick question. Are there any remote work opportunities at this time for your organization? So we try to match up skills with our needs. So there are opportunities. You don't have to physically be here for some of our opportunities, especially helping with marketing. Um, so we have someone helping us with that. It could be doing some outreach. Um, so we're very flexible and try to match up the skills of the volunteer with our needs. So sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight, everyone. Uh, this is Jack with the Health Systems Podcast, and have a great evening.